0: Uh, find the book of Romans in your Bible. Romans chapter 6. The title of the sermon this morning is Continuing from What? Continuing from What? Romans chapter 6. I'm going to read from verse 4 in a moment. Pray with me just for a second here, okay? Let's pray. Lord God, as we have some reminded ourselves some of the reasons of our worship, some of the aspects of your majesty, the greatness of our Redeemer, we pray for your help, Lord. Awake our souls, God. Might the spirit of our soul be in sweet fellowship with your spirit as we read your word. Dear God, teach us, please, build your church today, Lord, for your own glory and your name's sake. Amen. Romans 6, 4. Kind of in the middle of a thought here, but that's where we're going to start. It says, Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead, indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, let's take a, a few minutes here. This, this text here in 4, where it says, Therefore we were buried, is a little bit of what we read last week. And, and what you'll notice here in uh, the first part of Romans chapter 6 is that there's two questions that had to do with a born-again person's life. There's two questions here. Verses 1 and 2 have the questions, and, and what we've just been reading now is how you answer the questions. You see what that first question is? The question, a uh, born-again person is, is asking, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace might abound? The first question. Rhetorical question, Right? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And if it's a rhetorical question, it means the answer's built in. What's the built-in answer? No. Shall we continue in sin that grace might abound? Uh, King James says, God forbid. It's a very strong piece of language and how it says no. Don't you dare do that. So the passage asks about the convert continuing in sin so that it would magnify God's grace. Magnifying God's grace is certainly a good cause, a proper thing to do. But Paul says that it can't be done in this way. The following question says, how can we who have died to sin live any longer in it? That's another rhetorical question. Rhetorical questions have the answer built into them, right? How can we who have died to sin live any longer in it? That's a question, but you know the answer, the the way the question is asked, right? It basically means if you have died to your sin, you can't live. In your sin anymore sometimes you can say a positive thing like that I just said a positive thing you say it asking a question how can we who have died of sin live any longer and it? you can't that's the point of asking that question look back again we keep going to this section back in 3.26 if you haven't marked it the whole section there 21 through 26 is just one of the crucial statements in the book of Romans but Look at just verse 26. 326 is speaking about the, the redemption and the justification of, of Christ by God. Verse 26 to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness. God is righteous, he will not overlook sin, he does not overlook sin. And Christ came in the perfect timing to, to present his righteousness. That Christ might be just and the justifier of the one. here's what I want you to remember here. The one who has faith in Christ. The one who has faith in Christ is the saved one. It's the one who's asking the question down here in Romans chapter 6. These two questions being asked. They're being asked of the one, of this one who's placed their faith in Christ or these people way back in Romans chapter 3. They they understand all of Romans chapter 4. They have and possess the faith of Abraham. Exercising faith in Christ reckons on Christ as the source of the believer's righteousness. Reckons on Christ as the source of the believer's death deserved for sin. This is what faith in Christ means. So the question of continuing in sin would mean that a person has walked through Abraham's doors of faith, if you would, right? Chapter four, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. The only way to possess saving righteousness is with this faith Abraham had there and for David has this righteousness by their faith. Walking through these doors of faith And having new birth and continuing in sin would mean that nothing has changed. Shall we continue in sin that grace might abound was how that question question went. And that's that's where we get this title, continue in what? In other words... Romans chapter 6 looks at conversion. It looks at that born-again moment as a point in time where somebody was not saved, and then they were saved. They were not born again, and then they were born again. Shall we continue in sin that grace might abound? The first question thinks, presumes, has within it that you would walk through that door of conversion and Nothing has changed. The title of the sermon, Continue in What? Shall you continue in sin? In other words, you sinned, you had sins, sin characterized and qualified, the the life, the pre-converted life. And, And for each one of you, it's different. If all of you are born again, then all of you can look to this time pre-Christ, pre-born again, and we see what was there. What what, what are the sins that, that really were very apparent in my life? And then you'll all admit there were some more subtle ones, some more secret ones. You come to conversion. Shall you continue in sin that grace may abound? And if the answer is, Yes, then those sins have come along with you through the doors of conversion. If this is how you've come to understand conversion, then nothing changed. You've continued in the old you. And so the implication is, and we covered this pretty much in depth last week, you think that the sin forgiven by God in each case of your ongoing sin results in greater glory for him because it is to his glory that he forgives sin it, it magnifies his graciousness and his goodness and and, and some people have a, a small view of sin while they have a high view of, of God's grace and, and, and some people feel that the, the righteousness of God in Christ has no bearing on how we live and what we do today but then the next question the next question makes it so that if you're a bible believing christian you can't say that you you cannot justify biblical saving faith with this attitude towards sin and this is an important thing for us to 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 get in this text In other words, as you're contemplating Romans 6, Romans 6 requires you to come to the threshold of the gospel, to come to an understanding of your own sin and offer the gospel. And you must have a right attitude toward sin as you step over the threshold of salvation. So... What Paul explains in the remainder of chapter 6 is the logic, the biblical logic of why and how you avoid sin. Why is the Christian not to walk in sin? What is the answer to that question? A lot of people feel like their salvation hangs on their their righteousness from some supposed point of conversion, right? They, some some people live in a, in an ongoing fear of losing their salvation. That's not what's being taught here at all. Paul simply asks, "How shall we, who died to sin, live any longer in it?" And so we're going to pursue the answer to these questions. In God's word, the two questions is, as Paul clarifies these, I think you're going to leave this morning having a, a, a good idea of what it means to have a right attitude toward sin. So the first thing that he banks on here, as Paul explains this to us, is he believes that saving faith, Christian faith, believes in the death of Christ Believes in your own worthiness of death as a sinner. Saving faith understands death. Saving faith believes that death, the death of Christ, and your pending death, they have a relationship between each other. Let me explain. What sin marked your life pre-conversion? Uh, if I gave you guys a piece of paper and had you spill it out, and I said, What sin or sins marks your life pre conversion? There's all, if you got saved when you were four or five, you wouldn't probably remember the individual sins, but you could guess what they were. Little children, two, three, four-year-olds, sometimes slap their mother or father in anger when they don't get what they want. And we, we see those little insolent things that children do, and sometimes we jest with each other. Boy, you can see the, the sin nature awfully early, can't you? Or if you got saved a little later, you might have been a liar by the time you got saved, or you might have been a bully. And, and willing to abuse the comfort and security of friends to get the things you wanted. The older you get in life, the, the more complex some of your sins get. But you would you would be able to list these things off. You would be able to tell me. You would be able to explain what sins marked your life before you came to Christ. Paul teaches that. Sin, the wage of sin is death. And so when someone comes to a right understanding of the gospel, we realize that whatever those sins were, they were proof that we deserve death at the judgment. Whatever your sins were, whatever they are, we come to recognize that death is the proper end. It's the proper wage. So saving faith believes that death is Is the right end to our sins and our sinfulness. Saving faith believes that the death of Christ is a legitimate payment of the death that you owed as a sinner. Saving faith understands that Christ is a substitute. We believe as Christians that Christ's offer of righteousness. And his life is a belief in what his death is and what his resurrection is. What is the death of Christ? It is the believer's death. It's his sin debt. That's what Christ's death is. We believe that. What is his resurrection? It is evidence of your hope in eternal life. It's God's demonstrating that death could not hold Christ. The resurrection of Christ is the believer's basis of hope in eternal life. These things must be believed in order for us to have a basic understanding of the gospel. This is basic gospel Christianity, is it not? So, since this is true, you are taught that your death has Occurred in Christ You've been taught that your death Died in Christ At the cross And your newness of life Is the life that comes after your union With Christ in his death If Christ's death was for your death That means you died with Christ we reckon these things true. We we understand in our hearts and our minds that his death was my death, therefore I died with him. He died for me, I died with Christ, he rose to do a new life, I rise to a new life. I have a new life from this point forward. So here we are, Romans six, four. Therefore, We were buried with him through baptism into death. That, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. Were any of you ever literally buried? No. Was Christ literally buried? Yes. This is a little bit of a tricky passage because the Lord Jesus did literally, physically die. Those are literal things. Your baptism pictures a spiritual union with Christ. The reality of your death with Christ is a spiritual reality. It's not an actual thing. And so this this, this, this section here mixes these two things. Did you literally die with Jesus? No, you spiritually died with him. When he rose, you spiritually rose with him. So Paul is explaining, you did die. He's helping you understand your relationship to sin in terms of your death with Christ. Theology books calls it your union with Christ your union in his death, your union with him in the resurrection. So there are these parallel things that that Christians share with him. So in this sense, you are buried with him. You are buried with Christ spiritually. So this is an issue of faith. Remember what faith is? Faith is um, substance, and evidence, substance and evidence, Hebrews chapter 11, evidence of things hoped for, substance of things not seen. Do you believe that you were buried with Christ? Is there any evidence of it right here in Romans or is, right? There's evidence of it. It's it's, it's, it's it's a plain gospel statement. So when you believe in the gospel, when you began to comprehend the terms of, of the good news, was the good news an answer to your concern of death? Did the gospel to you come with a, a clear knowledge in your mind, am I facing death for my sin? The gospel must have that component to it because if, if it didn't, then the death of Christ doesn't mean anything. But when we apprehend the gospel, it's a, it's a threat as a compensation for our sins. And we hear the gospel and, and we realize the wage of my sin is death, but the Lord Jesus died in my place. So when you believe the gospel, did you believe that his death is your death? Is your faith, is your mind and heart reckoning on the death and the resurrection of Christ as your penalty and of your hope? The believer, in this sense, comes to understand that when Christ is buried in his death, we too died and were buried with the Lord Jesus. We need to understand this. So, when a believer is baptized, why does he want to get baptized? Well, he wants to participate in this. It's a ceremony of sorts. We call it. Um, we don't call it a sacrament in the in the, in the Baptist tradition. Uh, a sacrament is something that the 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 legally ordained one gives um, efficaciousness to by his blessing on. In other words, in the Roman Catholic Church, when he blesses the bread, the bread possessed as a special blessing because the priest blessed it and that's why it's called a sacrament we don't believe in the in the sacerdotal authority of a pastor me praying for the communion doesn't make the communion have its effect but why do we practice communion to remember the body and the blood of Christ why do we practice baptism to remember and to participate in in this 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 ceremony that reminds us of the death and the resurrection of Christ. We're joined to Christ in his death and his resurrection. It's an important ceremony for Christians to participate in. Did God raise Christ from the dead? Now this is a Christian question. Did God raise Christ from the dead? And I hope all of you say yes. We know that God raised the Lord Jesus from dead the dead. And if you believe that, understanding that is is where Paul brings us here in in Romans chapter 6 in this text. Do you believe that God raised him from the dead? This is a simple question. So let your faith be super simple on this. He says, "Yes, therefore you who have been buried with him, you have been raised to what?" What did he call it here in our in our passage? New life. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The question on the front end here is continue in what? Are you going to bring those sins that, that marked your life pre-Christ with you through the door? Well, if you've been buried with Christ, then you've been raised with Christ. You've been raised to new life. In other words, the answer is no. Why? Because you are not the alive, old sinner. You are the newly raised in union with Christ. And you don't walk in the oldness of life. You walk in the newness of life is what it says there in the end of verse 4. We should walk in newness of life. So, the sins and sinning of life without Christ is an indication that the person never died with Christ. If you walked through the door of salvation bringing all of your sins with you, you might have them in a wheelbarrow in front, or you might have them in a backpack and a wheelbarrow, or you might have a 20-yard dump truck. Bringing all that with you would indicate, in the logic of the passage, you never died with Christ because you never rose anew with a different uh, newness in regard to your life and sin? Does newness mark your life? That's Paul's logic. And actually, it's pretty simple logic, isn't it? We can read this and go, "I, I totally get what he's talking about. This isn't hard to understand. What is new about a Christian's life? What is new? Paul's words are newness of life. What's new in the context of where we're at all the the way even in in chapter 3, 4, 5, 6? What's new? Well, part of the new is your attitude toward God, which was mentioned very early in chapter 1, right? Acknowledging Him as as God, giving Him thanks. But the primary concern at 6 is what is new in regard to you and sin. What's new? You and sin is new if you're a Christian. Isn't that the gist of the whole text? Honestly, the whole chapter, all of Romans chapter 6 is speaking about this question. Why does he take a whole chapter to do it? Because people tend to get very, very confused about this doctrine, about this teaching. So go to verse 5. Death with Christ is for your new life. Death with Christ is for your new life. He says, If we've been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we would... No longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we die with Christ, we believe we shall live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. So this is a a restatement of what I'm saying in regards to a believer's union with Christ. This is an important theological concept, your union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Exercising your faith is understanding this concept of your union. Your death is died in Christ. Christ died my death. Christ dies to sin. In what way did Christ die to sin? Can you picture that in your mind? How did Christ die to sin? In what way did Christ die to sin? Hebrews 9.28 gives a real clear, simple answer. In what way did Christ die to sin? Did Was was Christ put to death for his sin? No. Hopefully you all know that. Lord Jesus was the, the, the spotless Lamb of God, the sinless Lamb of God. Hebrews 9:28 So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation what does it mean that he bore he bears he bore what does that mean he carried Literally, the the, the clean one, the the righteous one, had your bad attitude. Lying, adultery, theft, blasphemy, yours were placed on him. That's why the the crucifixion of of the Christ is such a shameful experience for the Christ to have died. The only truly righteous one had to carry your sins. On the cross, and and it's truly a, a humility. Think of the worst worst sin on your list, your own personal list, and then think of the worst sins that you can think of, and there they are listed on the list with the Christ of the sins that He's dying for. Is the most shameful thing in in the universe to be labeled? the worst kind of sinner on your list and have it there being the the reason for your execution. So we must see the death of Christ as the death that you deserve. And and if your sins were, were minor sins in your mind, as you think about the evidence of your sinnership, no, that's not a word, but I think you know what I mean. If you think about the sins that evidence you're being a sinner. Think about them. Even today, what kind of sins mark your life? And, and you'll probably consider them to be relatively minor sins. Would you think, would you say that sin is worthy of eternal death? Eternal death. Your littlest sin, is it worthy of eternal death? And, and they are. This is where we err. We tend to think that our sins, the kind of sins that we sin now that we've come to know Christ, they're they're little ones and they don't matter so much. The big ones now, those ones, and we kind of usually look at the outside world and and condemn the world around us. The death Christ died, He died in your place. Look at verse 6. chapter 6, verse 6, knowing this, our old man was crucified with Him. So in a sense, the old man, the man who came to faith in Christ, was crucified with Christ. So there is a death, a real death of Christ, and if you're in union with Christ, it is your death. You have died with Him, and faith in Christ is, has all this picture in view. And this is why Paul is teaching you the biblical attitude, your attitude toward sin. Continue in what? Is the question of the sermon. Continue in what? Why is the crucifixion taking place? Knowing this, our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin, are you reading it? That the body of sin, why is he crucified? Why are you crucified with him? That the body of sin might be done away with. Shall we continue in sin? No, because the sinning body is being done away with in the crucifixion. And the body might be done away with. It goes on to say that we should no longer be slaves of Sin, Which is an interesting concept. That we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now this is getting a little bit deeper into the theology of your union with Christ and understanding your death with him in the crucifixion. So think with me. Stay awake. It's noon right now, and I hope I'm done in like 15 or 20 minutes. This is really getting past baby Christianity here. What is the opposite of free? Captive, slave, right? Prisoner. So he's speaking about a death taking place, a crucifixion taking place, that we would no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been free. He who has died has been freed. And this puts an interesting little twist on you continuing in what after your death with Christ? What does death with Christ mean? What is the implication of your death with Christ? If if you have put your faith in the crucifixion and in the resurrection of Christ, what is the implication with you and your walk with sin? What is the implication well, number one, you were a captive if you've, if you've become a believer and if you're trusting in Christ, you are a captive. Do you understand? You were a slave. It owned you. If you're a slave, that means you're owned. Sin owned you. Remember earlier in the the chapter we were calling it a reign. The reign of sin. And so we were calling sin a king. It's reign. It's it's a rule. And the reign of sin ends in death. That's what it keeps its slaves for. How does sin hold somebody captive? This is a, a little bit of a interesting question how does sin keep somebody captive there's some simple answers to this number one you were born in adam so you're born in sin and and there's nothing you can do to not be in adam if you're born a man and so you're born in slavery to sin because that's all there is but you obey its commands and its passions and its principles this is how you're owned by it. sin has passions sin loves accolades sin loves money sin loves self sin loves its own version of God and not God's version of God and the Bible's version of God sin loves making its own way sin loves pleasure sin loves its own privileges and so sin promises the sinner privilege, comfort accolades, money, safety, sin makes these promises. And since your heart is literally the the, the, the magnetic, uh, do, do mag- I don't know if magnets have opposite, but when magnets stick, your heart is like the part that sticks to the magnet. It's not like sin makes its suggestions to you and you sit there with righteous, perfect arguments against it you do not possess the holiness and the wisdom and the righteousness to understand all of sin's ways. So instead, when sin makes a suggestion for your fame or for your money or for your comfort, you are usually saying, oh yeah, that'll work out perfect. And sin and you fit together like a a magnet and a piece of metal or like a latex glove and, and your hand. So you don't normally debate and argue with Sin before you come to Christ. That's how it enslaves you. That's how it owns you. And you know what it finally gives as your taskmaster? You know what it finally gives you? Death. Eternal death. Psalm 1913 is an example. I thought this was a really good one. Look at this one with me. Psalm 1913. we read this little insight into a believer's understanding of sin. This was very helpful. David says, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. There there are some kind of sins that we come right out and and presume to be willing to do. We, we, We do them. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Do you see how the... The psalmist understands that the sin itself can, can have dominion, which means what? What's dominion mean? <laughs> Power, authority, rulership, right? What is his prayer? Let them not have dominion over it. Why does he pray that? Because they do. They grab you. They exercise their authority over you. Then I shall be blameless, he says. And I shall be innocent of great transgression. Who is David relying on in his protection and hope against sin? God. He's in prayer to God. Keep me back from these sins. Protect me from these. Why is there a threat of it? Why is there a problem? Because they own. They rule. They exercise their power. That's what they do. Romans two eight. speaks about the end of sinners, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey in righteousness. Why would they obey in righteousness? Their end is indignation and wrath. They obey in righteousness. They obey its commands. They obey its rule. And if you're owned by sin and and unconverted, the one who isn't born again is owned only by sin, exclusively by sin. And therefore, it must take your life. The Lord Jesus said in John 8:34, it says, Jesus answered, them, most surely I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Sin is a slave owner. Have you ever felt like you're enslaved to a sin or some sin? Have you ever felt like why is this like this, Lord? Why am I constantly dealing with this? How does this have its influence and authority on my life? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever thought about that? It's, it's a, a man's relationship to sin by his nature. It's, it's how you came from Adam. It's a part of us. And what does verse 7 say about its authority and about its ownership? What did it say? If you have died, you've been freed. If you've been died, you've been freed. That's what he was teaching us in verse 7. So if you have died with Christ, then what do you live for? That's the question at the end of the passage. Verse 8, if we die with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. In other words, if you have been raised with Christ, the threat of sin, the threat of sin's death, the authority of sin is broken, it's gone. You actually died. The taskmaster can't speak to the one who died in his realm. If you're a slave and you die, what can the slave owner tell you if you're dead? Nothing. (laughs) You're dead. If you died in the reign of sin and raised in the reign of Christ, who tells you what to do? Interesting. As we work through the passage, he is called the master here quite soon. So the scripture goes on here. Let's see, I think we read, um, let me start there in verse 9 again. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves dead, indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It asks a question in verse 8. What's the question? It says, If we died with Christ. It says, Did you die with Christ? It's getting at the root of what faith is. Did you die with Christ? If we died with Christ, is how verse 8 began, then it means you continue from that point of your death with Christ. You continue with a totally new relationship and orientation to sin. Your salvation means you're joined to Christ. So have you died with Him? And then if you have died with Him, then you have been raised with Him. And death no longer tells you what to do. Sin can no longer have its sway over you. The word dominion when it speaks about death and sin and their dominion, comes from a word. And you guys know a word or two of Greek. There's a word "kurios" in Greek that means Lord. And when people address the Lord in Greek, they call him "kurios," Lord, kurios. This word dominion has this word in its in its core, in its root. Dominion is lordship. The dominator has domination. The Lord has lordship. So this word dominion has the same word kurios at its its root. And what we've been reading here is that death no longer has dominion. It no longer rules. Sin no longer has dominion. Sin is no longer the Lord. When you died with Christ, the lordship of sin is broken. When Christ rises from the dead, the dominion is ended. The reign of death is ended. How? He's he's been granted life. The Lord Jesus dies. He's raised again with perfect, unending life. He has broken the dominion. He has broken the lordship of sin and death. Sin is actually satisfied. What is sin's ultimate appetite for sinners? What is its ultimate end? Death. Sin is satisfied by the death of Christ. It cannot have anything else. It has no more realm of lordship. It cannot have any sway any longer. That's the end of verse 9. Death no longer has dominion over him. Read with me. For the death he died. He died to sin once for all. The life he lives, he lives to God. And so again, when you understand yourself to be in union with Christ, your life is with Christ and your attitude and your life as you're continuing from your salvation is what? Shall we continue in sin? No, because it has no lordship. It has no sway. It has nothing to do with me and my God and my Savior. Verse 11 speaks about you, finally. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead, indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the passage closes... Assuming that you understand and you believe sin and Christ's death, Christ's death being the satisfaction for your sin, your union with Christ, all of this is in view in these 12 verses of, of Hebrews, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 6. This is preaching the gospel back to those who have heard the gospel And is teaching you your attitude to sin. What is your attitude to sin? Your believing relationship to sin. What you think about sin as somebody who has been born again is compared to something in your union with Christ. What what is being spoken about? When When you're answering the question, what is my relationship to sin like? What is the picture that's painted for us? Again, verse 10 the death he died, he died to sin once for all. The life he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead. What is your attitude? What is your understanding of sin? You're dead to it. You're, you're, you're not to submit to its dominion, you're not to submit to its lordship. You have died with Christ and you have been raised what is the raised Christ for can I put it that way what is the raised Christ submissive to what does it say in 11 reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus your Lord you're to reckon yourselves to be dead what does reckon mean? I think we've asked that question once. What does reckon mean? Believe. Believe. Oh. Think is a, another word for reckon. Calculate. Thinkify. Cogitate. Yourself, dead to sin. Dead to sin but alive to God. When you're dead to sin, and sin suggests to you cheat in your business transaction, or lie to your spouse, or seek revenge for yourself, when sin suggests that to the Christian, why doesn't the Christian hear it anymore? He's dead to sin. You're dead to sin. Reckon yourselves dead to sin. So the attitude, when when the question is first asked, shall we continue in sin that grace might abound, the answer is no. Why is the answer no? Because you have been crucified with Christ, and Christ's death is a death to sin. (coughs) And when Christ dies to sin, death no longer has dominion. Sin no longer can have what sin must have because sin has had what it must have. Sin must have death. And all the death that sin requires is died in Christ. And so sin shall not be your master. You've died to sin in Christ If you've died to sin in Christ, what have you raised to new life in? What are you alive to? What does the passage teach us? Who do you live to? God. You live to God. Your, your, Your ear is for God to speak to, not for sin to speak to. The new life has been granted. Eternal life has been granted. And sin is no longer the master. Death no longer has dominion. When you had no saving faith, when you did not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you had no ambition or desire to say no to sin. You would only do what it says. You hear sin's words to you with sympathy. You hear sin's words to you with hopefulness. Sin's suggestions give us hope, give us comfort. You approve of much of its reason. And for that reason, the one who hears sin's promises and suggestions, that person is dead to God. I'm just saying it all backwards, opposite. The unbeliever hears sin's offers, hears sin's promises, hears sin's ways, and we bend to them and we do what it says. The person is dead to God. When we come to faith in Christ, we understand that Christ's death is death for sin. We died with Christ, and we re- were raised to new life with Christ. And then our ear is for God. Our life is for God. And so we do not listen to sin anymore. If you've been crucified with Christ, you reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. This is why the Christian fights Sin. A little later in the in the book of Romans it speaks about by the Spirit you putting to death the deeds of sin. Why do we avoid sin? Because we're dead to sin. We're not servants of sin. Who are we servants of? Who's our Lord? God is our Lord. Christ is our Lord. The Spirit of God is our Lord. We have a Lord. And the slave master who's been put to death in Christ. Let's close in prayer and then we'll get ready for lunch together. Almighty God, I thank You and praise You for the death of Christ that breaks the authority and the ownership of sin. Dear God, oh, how I pray that each man and woman here this afternoon would rejoice, would take joy and pleasure in the... And the knowledge that we have a a good master, a kind master who gives us life, who has given us his righteousness. Oh, how we thank you, Lord. We thank you and we praise you. And the great Savior. In his name we pray. Amen.